I want to continue our conversation about trust by talking about three things. First of all, what is trust? Second of all, why we need it? And third of all, how do we get it? How do we get more of it? I'm going to start by of talking about what trust is by telling you a couple stories out of our life. Um, my wife, Christy, and I got married. Um, we decided at a certain point we wanted to have kids. We were childless for five years after we made that decision, and we went into the doctors to say, what's going on? And they said, you know what? After they did the test, if we do everything that medical science has and take you to the absolute deepest end of what we can do, there's a 2% chance of you guys ever having kids. And if you want to take a shot, you better do it now. So we went through the process, and the first time we did it, our beautiful daughter, Corey, who's now 12, was born. Um, And she would be here with my wife, but my wife threw her back out yesterday, so you will meet her in a subsequent week. And then we were on a vacation a couple years later. We really didn't even think about having a subsequent child. It just seemed like, wow, we so blew the overwhelmed the odds against us. Let's just, we're good here. But we were on vacation, and Christy got a sense in prayer that the Lord was saying, I'm going to give you another child. And he impressed on her heart this passage from Romans 4, verse 18. Against all hope. Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said of him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he has promised." So we went back to the doctors, and they were excited because their faith had been built when this kind of miracle baby was born, and we went through the process a second time, and the interim results were really not good. But they said that the day you're going to find out whether this has worked or not is Easter Sunday morning. We're going on an egg hunt together, they said. And we're like, all right, this is going to be so awesome. God's going to get so much glory out of this. And we go to the doctor's office on Easter morning, and the doctor comes in with tears down his face, and he says, I am so sorry, Christy, but your body doesn't make eggs anymore. We've done all we can. It's never going to happen. And we had to go and preach at a conference back in my home state of Mississippi uh, that next week, last thing we wanted to do. But we found our faith somehow kind of buoyed up in spite of what had just gone down, and we came back, and the next month we get pregnant on our own with no doctors, no nothing. And we're just like, wow. Because it had really created a crisis of faith for us, too, because we had not only wanted to have that second child, but we had felt like God had said, go do it. And we were kind of living in that, what is going on here, period, for for that month was really difficult for us. About two years later, we found ourselves pregnant again with our son, My mom, having gone through two very expensive in vitro processes and then getting pregnant with our third, my mom calls it buy two, get one free. And we just, we came back to our church and we said, you can stop praying now or you're going to have two dead preachers on your hands. But we went through this and we learned about trust and the environment in which we trust God 
exists where sometimes God does those miracles, where against all hope, He does this thing that we have hoped for. Let me fast forward four years. My mother-in-law, Christy's mom, was diagnosed with cancer. We got the same church, the same group of people praying just as hard for her mom, and within a few very short months, she was gone. And in that case, we didn't get the miracle we asked for. I wouldn't say we didn't get anything. We got a miracle of God saying, I'm going to walk with you through this thing that you desperately didn't want to have to face, but I will be there with you in the middle of it. And faith is lived out in those environments where sometimes you get the miracle. Sometimes you get God's presence. And we have a bunch of other days that are kind of spiritually nondescript. It seems like we're not having any particular highs and lows. But that's the real world we live in where trust either exists with God or doesn't. And that's why I want to talk about it with you. And I want to get into it more deeply by talking about the life of Abraham Um, And Gay got us started in sharing about the kids. But I want to reread the passage that uh, she read from Genesis 12, uh, starting with verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham lived in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. It's kind of modern-day Iraq, right near where the Euphrates River uh, broadens out and, and pours into the ocean. It was kind of the cradle of civilization. He was a very wealthy man. He was a fantastic businessman. And God comes to him and says, I want you to uproot from all you've got going on here, and I want you to start a journey with me. Okay, Lord, where are you going to show me? Where are you leading me? Well, I'll show you once you start walking. So he picks up and he starts moving, having no idea where he's going to go. I wonder if you've ever been that way, where you feel like, I can't quite tell where my life is going, but I'm just hanging on and I'm walking and trying to follow God as best I can. But Abraham begins that journey with the Lord and he becomes even wealthier in the land, the Holy Lands, in Egypt, he spends time in both places. But the Lord's promise to him of, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless all the people of the earth through you, it hinged on the one thing he did not have. For that promise to come through, he had to have offspring, and he didn't. We next encounter him in Genesis 15, when he's About 12 years later, he's childless, and at this point, he's 85 years old, and his wife has gone through menopause. And here's what happens. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up in the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. 
Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So Abraham is basically saying, God, yeah, I'm rich. All of that stuff, you've blessed me, but for your promise to be true, I've got to have kids. And God says, I'm going to give them to you and your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And so he got pregnant the next month, right? Wrong. Ten more years. Abraham is 100 years old. 25 years from the year that God promised him that he would make him a great nation until he actually had the son that came from his own body. And so that passage that had become so meaningful to Christy and I, you can kind of understand it a little bit better when you follow his journey of against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Our language about faith holds us back a little bit in the West. Because when we talk about faith and belief, a lot of times what we are talking about is belief statements. Do I believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do I believe that He went to the cross? Do I believe that He rose from the dead? Very important things, and that's a huge part of our journey of faith. But trust is a different animal. It's not just do I believe certain things about Him, it's do I trust Him to be faithful to me that with the things that matter to me most. I can guarantee you in those years when we were childless and going through all of that, it wasn't a crisis of do I believe in Him, it was a crisis of do I trust Him with the stuff that matters to me most. Do I trust Him with my finances? Do I trust Him with my prodigal child, with my troubled relationship? Fill in the blank. Do I trust Him is a separate question from do I believe in Him. Both are important. This series is about the second question, though. Do I trust Him? And God is going to help us, I believe, to be able to trust Him more. The Hebrew language actually broke those two ideas into two separate words. Hebrew had one word called aman. That word, the idea behind it was belief because of. It's like God has done something amazing for us, and therefore we believe in Him. The second word was batak, and that meant trust in spite of, or belief in spite of. It means there is stuff going on in my life that I don't see how it's going to come together, but I am trusting God in that thing that I cannot see how it's going to come together. Let me show you a couple Bible verses that will illustrate the two different kinds. Here's a Bible verse that uses that word, aman, belief because of, Exodus 14.31. And when the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust, their aman, in him and in Moses, his servant. So they'd seen the 
the Red Sea parted. They had gotten through. The Red Sea came back over the Egyptian pursuers. And so they, Ammon, they believed because of what they had seen. Let me show you Batak in Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. And you kind of get the picture of somebody who is not in perfect peace, who is feeling all sliced up into a bunch of pieces of worry about this, that, and the other. And God says, I will keep in perfect peace her whose heart is steadfast, him who trusts in you. That's the batak. That's that trust in spite of. Brendan Manning, who wrote the book called Ruthless Trust, which we going has, have as a companion piece to this series, it's actually available downstairs for you today if you'd like to pick it up. He said this, You've got enough insights to last you 300 years. The most urgent need in your life is to trust what you have received. I mean, it's very easy in our information-intense culture to just keep stacking up more and more facts about God But he's saying that's not our biggest need. Our biggest need is to trust the things we've already learned. Of what avail is our life of prayer, of our study of Scripture, theology, and spirituality, if we do not trust the insights we have received, waffling back and forth between a decisive yes and a discouraging no keeps us in a state of perpetual procrastination. I want to talk now a little bit, having defined a little bit what trust is and how it's different from the way we sometimes talk about, yeah, of course I believe in God. Trust is something more than just do I believe those things about Him. I want to talk now about why it matters. Why do we need trust? I heard about a Christian orphanage in Russia, and they were taking in kids that had lived on the streets, and they'd lived by their wits, and they'd lived by stealing by selling their bodies, by doing whatever they had to do just to stay alive. And they took them into this orphanage, and it was based in the love of Christ. It wasn't just a state-run orphanage. And they, they, these kids were finally and for the first time in their lives in a safe place, and they were loved, and they were cared for, and they were, no one was taking advantage of them. All the adults in their lives were only trying to help them. But what they noticed at night the kids would get into their beds and they would all begin to cry because they couldn't believe that this good thing that was here today would still be there tomorrow because nothing had ever been good and stayed good for them their entire existence. And so a member of the staff had an idea and they took loaves of bread, hard loaves of bread, and they would stick them under each child's pillow And the kid would sleep with tomorrow's first meal under their pillow. And the kids just... That's a picture to me of what trust is for you and me. It's that loaf of bread under my pillow that says, I do not know what tomorrow will bring. I don't know if it's going to bring me miracles or if it's going to bring me trials that Jesus will stay with me in. But this I trust you though I cannot control tomorrow and I don't know its contents, I trust you. And we go, I don't have to control it all. I don't have to build so many hedges around me trying to make sure that I never, that I can take care of myself, that I never have to depend on anybody else to be there for me. We don't have to do that. 
but we can lean back into the goodness of God. Our lives in Christ often begin around things we believe about God, but I would say that the quality of our life as a follower of Christ is dramatically impacted by the degree to which we do or don't trust Jesus. I mean, you can give me the exact... I'm, let's split, let's clone me. Ben over here has the exact same set of problems and issues that Ben over there does. Ben over here does not trust God. I am anxious. I can't sleep at night. I'm waking up at 3 in the morning. I'm getting up every day trying to build a head, some kind of a impermeable wall around me and trying to do it by my wits. Ben over here has the same exact set of problems, and yet he's got that loaf of bread under his pillow called trusting Jesus. And this guy with the same set of problems knows a great deal more peace. Wakes up. His heart isn't racing. says, God, I don't have to control it all. Yeah, I've got to go to work. I've got to do the things that are on me. But I don't have to be my own God to protect myself. You are actually trustworthy. That's why it matters. You know, the first three steps of the 12 steps in the recovery movements are my life was unmanageable when I was trying to lead it. My first step to sanity was to give it over to somebody greater than myself, and I gave it to him. Trust, giving it over to someone who can actually handle it and not be crushed by it. Now, I want to, at this point, shift gears a little bit to, okay, some of you are out there going, you had me at hello. You know, I'm down with trust. That sounds great in concept, but how do you actually do it? I mean, that's really what we're going to be spending the next four weeks talking about, is how do we live as people who are in touch with God's trustworthiness so that it impacts our relationship with Him. But I want to foreshadow three things today that I think will recur again and again in the next few weeks. And the first is this. Live into those things that bring you closest to Jesus. Live into those things that bring you closest to Jesus. Think about Abraham in our passage. When he's 85, 86, 87 years old, right before we encounter him in Genesis 15, he's had this promise from God about, I'll make you a great nation. It's been 12 years. Nothing has happened in terms of him becoming this great nation. And how do you think his faith is feeling at that point? I think it's feeling stretched pretty thin. Let's say you're one hour before this encounter where God says, look up at the stars. If you can count those, you can count your offspring. Then I want you to imagine Abraham one hour after that encounter. He's had an encounter with God. What do you think his faith and his trust feel like then? Apparently, according to the Bible, Abraham actually believed God and God credited it to him is righteousness. The only difference was an encounter with God. And so I suggest to us, first of all, live into those things that bring you closest to Jesus because the closer you are, the easier trust becomes. The further I am and the greater distance I live from Him, trust is almost impossible for me. Um, I want to say that... uh, To be a good follower of Jesus, 
To be a good follower of Christ, you also have to be a good student of yourself. Because what brings you closer to God is not going to be the same thing as brings you closer to God, is not going to be the same thing as brings the person two rows behind you closer to God. I mean, there's some overlap. I hope that what we do here is bringing you closer to God. That's our earnest prayer. But for some of you, you're going to say, you know, when I take a walk in the woods at Edgewood Park or on the beach, man, that's, that's where I feel closest to God. And others are going to say, when I get up a little earlier and I read my Bible and I pray, that's when I feel closest to God. And some are going to say, you know, there's this set of friends for me. And man, they're like the, pers- the, the friends who lowered the guy, the paralytic, down through the roof. And when I'm with them, my faith gets strong. But whatever it is for you, lean into those things that bring you closest to Jesus. Second thing I want to say that helps us trust God more is ask God for the gift of trust beyond the trust busters. Let me tell you what I mean by the trust busters. Trust busters were like praying for your mother-in-law to be healed from cancer, and she's gone within a very short period of time. Trust busters are those things. I had a, a, a pastor friend of mine a couple of weeks ago. His 25-year-old son, out of the blue, just dies. You know, 25-year-olds aren't supposed to die. You know, I'm, I'm in, his, in the sanctuary ready for the memorial service for this kid, and I had been kind of venting at God for a week saying, God, why in the world did this happen? I'm just like, Lord, a parent should never have to bury their child. And I hear in my spirit the Lord say, tell me about it. I've been there. I've done it. And nobody knows more about burying their own child than me. It was not an answer to why did it happen. It was just a somehow I am going to be with your friend lost his son. Everybody in this room has been through these trust busters. Everybody you have ever met who you would hold up as that person is really kind of my example of what it means to trust God. Every one of those people has lived through multiple trust busters and have even so said, you know what? I don't understand all of why certain things happen and certain things don't, but I choose to live my life trusting the most loving, good, caring being in all the universe. You've had your trust busters. You know it, and so have I. And to ask God for the gift to trust beyond our trust busters. When we get the miracle we asked for, trust is easy. When we live through the trust busters, it rattles us. You know, if we were to keep reading... In the book of Genesis, we get to, to Genesis 22 where God says to Abraham, I want you to take your son up on the mountain and offer him to me. And Abraham's like, what? And he's trying to walk it out by faith. I, the Lord does not ask him to do that in the end. It's a messy story. You kind of almost wish it wasn't even in the Bible because it seems mean. But I almost think it's in there on purpose Because faith and trust in spite of the trust busters is messy. It's trust without all the answers. I mean, I still don't understand why my dad died when he died. You know, it was was untimely. And I, I remember just 
kind of walking out because I couldn't really pray. I just walked out, and he had made a, a component part for bulldozers. And there was a field where they were doing construction near my mom's house. And I just walked out, and I sat in the seat of the bulldozer because it was a weekend. They weren't working. And I just said, God, I don't, I don't get it. And what I heard is him saying, I will be your father now. I didn't bring my dad back. But I will tell you this, he has kept his promise in ways very unique and very beautiful. He filled in this gigantic, loud silence left when I lost my dad. And I was able to trust God beyond a trust buster. I don't think you want to, you know how the, in um, the Wizard of Oz it says, oh, pay no, pay no attention to the man behind the curtains. I think sometimes when we try and trust God, we say, well, pay no attention to these trust busters, this 20% of my life that I can't fit into God being trustworthy. I'm saying you need, to, you need to name your trust busters, and you need to ask God for the gift of trust that includes those things as well. Gerald May is a Christian author, and he wrote this. I know that God is loving and that God's loving is trustworthy. I know this directly through the experience of my life. There have been plenty of times of doubt, especially when I used to believe that trusting God's goodness meant I would not be hurt. But having hurt quite a bit, I know God's goodness goes deeper than all pleasure and pain. It embraces them both. Trusting God has to include our trust busters as well. That's why that word batak, trust in spite of, is in the Bible. That word aman, trust because of, that word batak, trust in spite of, guess which occurs in the Bible more often? Batak, trust in spite of. There's a lot of days when you and I have to live that out if we're going to trust God. And the last thing I want to put in front of you in terms of how do we trust God is this. Let people hold the ropes of faith for you. Josh preached last week about the friends who lowered their buddy through the roof of the house down to the feet of Jesus to get him healed, and Jesus does heal him there. The Bible doesn't even tell us whether the man on the mat had faith himself. He may have had a lot. He may have had none. But I will tell you there are days in my life when I am not able to have faith for myself. And God has given me friends who love me enough that they will hold the ropes of faith for me when I can't hold them for myself. And so I encourage you to think of who are those people in your life when you can't have faith. Sometimes the most cruel thing you can do to somebody who's really crushed in spirit is to say, you just got to have more faith. And sometimes the kindest thing you can say is, you don't need to worry about having faith today. I'll have faith for you. You can ride my faith today, and you can ride these other three people's faith. So find the people who can hold the ropes for you when you can't hold them for yourself. Be the person who holds the ropes for your friends when they can't hold the ropes of faith for themselves.